Well, good morning again, and I want to say hello and good morning. Greetings to those of you who are joining us by video right now. If you're in our contemporary service or online, I'm glad you're here so we can do some important learning and growing together. Right here in our traditional service and contemporary worship venue, our ushers are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. I invite you to open your Bible up if you have one, if you'd like to borrow a Bible. Please feel free to wave at the ushers and they'll give you one. Just put it on the shelf in the back of each of our worship venues after the service today. What we're going to be reading comes today, as each week right now, from the gospel according to Luke. Right now, as a, as a Christian community, we're kind of on a journey together. We are all year long reading one of the biographies of Jesus, of his life, according to an author named Luke, and we're learning about the life of Jesus, the incredible love of God for us in his life, and we're learning about the life that Jesus calls us to as one of his followers. And we've been learning a lot of things in this series together, seeing Jesus do some amazing things. And in the episode, in the scene that we're going to read about today, we're going to be seeing how Jesus teaches people not only by explaining things and not only by showing them things, but we're going to see how Jesus teaches and grows his followers, how he trains his apprentices, his disciples, by giving them things to do, by giving them responsibility, by giving them on-the-job training, oftentimes probably before they thought they were ready for it. This has been one of the themes that, speaking personally, has really struck me as I've been reading through the story of Jesus' life, the gospel according to Luke this year. It probably shouldn't have surprised me as much as it has, but it has really grabbed me. And yet, this is the way that I've learned a lot of things over the course of my life. I imagine you've got a lot of similar stories. Like, I remember this job that I had when I was in college, a just short-term job because of the quirks of scheduling. I wound up with a pretty long break between semesters one year. I think it was my junior year in college. And I got this kind of long-term temp job working for the Sherwin-Williams company, the paint company that manufactures paint for all kinds of retails and corporate customers. And I got a short-term job working for a group in that company that provided manufactured products for Sears, like the Sears Roebuck company. And I was given a job, and I, I was given a few teammates to help me in this job, that over the course of a month or two, we had to produce, had to finish up some displays that like sales reps were gonna use at trade shows or something like that, right? And I'll tell you what, you can tell somebody about responsibility, responsibility for your work, responsibility for other people, or you can hand them responsibility and watch how the learning goes, right? And I had way too much to accomplish, and I didn't know how to do this. I was 20 years old, and pretty soon, my parents worked for Sherwin-Williams, too, in a different department of this huge world headquarters in Cleveland. And I was getting them up. We had, like, one car and one parking past the park. I was waking them up in the morning to drive this 20-year-old kid down to downtown Cleveland at 5 in the morning so I could be there before the rest of my team showed up and get stuff set up so they would be able to work and we'd be successful, right? I mean, I had to learn by doing what it was like to be responsible for this. I remember learning by doing when I was an intern pastor, now low these decades ago. I learned from my successes and I learned a lot from my failures because there was so blessed many of them. (laughs) I remember, you know, I had had people tell me over the years about like time management and being accountable for tasks and making lists and writing stuff down. And it went in one ear and it went pretty quickly right out the other. And there was this week I remember one time We were together for worship. I think it was on a Saturday night service. It might have been Sunday morning. And my senior pastor, the guy who was my pastoral mentor, announces to the congregation about 10 minutes into the service. And now Pastor Steve's going to come out and welcome the kids up front for the children's message. And he had told me that I was going to do that. (laughs) And I looked over at him and went, I haven't prepared anything for that. And I don't remember how he covered for me, but he did something, I think. 
And then a little bit later in the week, he had told me how I needed to go visit the woman in our congregation who was hospitalized. And then on like Wednesday or Thursday, he checked back with me to like, how is she doing? What's going on there? And I'm like, ooh, yeah, I forgot to go see her. And then so he sat me down and he said, now look, you don't have to keep a calendar the way that I do, but you do have to keep one. <laughs> and so start with my system and then you can change it when you figure out how to do something better yourself. I mean, we learn a lot by doing, right? Learned a lot about accountability and responsibility for those things. But probably the example that really is clearest to me right now comes from the fifth grade basketball team that I'm coaching right now. My son plays on a fifth grade basketball team with a couple other boys from church. They're part of the White Bear Basketball Association. There's another dad and I who are coaching that team. And a little less than a month ago, we had our first tournament. We play a lot of tournaments on weekends. And we had our first tournament against some pretty well-prepared teams after we had had practice for four weeks. <laughs> Twice a week, barely, for four weeks. And we had to go into that tournament before we were ready, okay? And in some cases that went fine, and in some cases it wasn't very pretty. But man, did our boys learn a lot, right? Because there are things that our coaches can do and we can talk till we're blue in the face about proper defensive positioning and making the extra pass and running the offense. And for the boys who are on the team who are hearing me right now, you know what I'm talking about, right? But there is just something different about live game action, right? There is something different about rolling the ball out there and jumping center and having to do it. I mean, for one thing, it's what you're called for. It's what you signed up for. You want to play the game. And boy, does it motivate the learning when you see it in a live environment. Now, I'm pretty sure that you guys have similar examples in your lives. We could go on and on, but we don't need to because we've all got examples of ways that you have learned what you needed to learn on the job, right? Whether it's in your job or your profession, maybe you've had opportunities like that to learn from your successes and failures. Maybe it's in relationships of some kind. Maybe it's in a, in a family network where you learned like, okay, that worked pretty well. Let's keep doing it that way. Or, oh my goodness, let's never do it that way again, right? We learn on the job. And I think the same thing is, is true of how we learn to follow Jesus in all those various roles we play in our lives, in our professions or families or relationships or whatever. Sometimes, gratefully, we have the opportunity to learn by listening or reading or watching an example to follow, but eventually we gotta learn by doing. If you wanna learn how to pray, if you wanna learn how to be forgiving, if you wanna learn to be generous, well, we can read about it and we can talk about it and we can discuss it, but at some point you're just gonna have to pray and forgive somebody who hurt you and give some stuff away, we learn by doing. That's how it is in all the areas of our lives and also how it is as followers of Jesus. And today what we're gonna do is take a look and see how it is that Jesus did that with his first followers and learn a few sides of how it is that Jesus continues to do that in our lives right now. So if, if you did take a Bible from the ushers or brought your own Bible or have a Bible app on your phone or tablet or something, open that up right now. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 10 I think that what Jesus did then is like what he does in our lives, so we're gonna learn about it. You can turn to page 1520 in our Quest Bibles if you've got one of those. Let me set the context for you while you're turning pages. We've read almost 10 chapters of story, nine chapters of story so far. The whole book's only 24 chapters long, so we're kind of getting about halfway, and we've seen a lot. We've seen Jesus do a lot of powerful things and perform miracles and show incredible love and grace. And we've watched him teach his disciples and he gives them examples to follow and he teaches them lessons and he tells them stories and teaches by parables. And now today we encounter, probably not the first time, I can think of a couple others, but maybe the biggest and the clearest example of Jesus taking a group of his followers and sending them out to learn on the job. 
and sending them out probably before they even thought they were ready, but out they go. And I'm just going to walk through a couple highlights of this passage with you here this morning. In Luke chapter 10, this is how it begins. It says, after this, after all this teaching, after everything else, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out. Let's just pause there for a second. I'm going to make an observation about that number. 72 people. That's actually quite a few people, right? That's, that's not a small little group. That's, pro, that's not like the Marines. That's not the few and the proud. This isn't the crack elite group. This is a pretty large crowd of people, right? They are being called to a very high calling. They are being called a tremendous responsibility. It's a huge challenge. All the challenge that they need to inspire them and make them humble and give them something to really fight for. It's an extremely high calling to serve and represent Jesus in the world. But it's kind of a low bar of entry, actually, right? Even the smaller groups that Jesus trains, those disciples who have famous names, we don't know many of the names. No names are listed here in this story of these 72. Even the ones whose names we know, Peter and James and John, there are those stories where Jesus goes to the shore of Lake Galilee while they're fishing, right? They come back in and he teaches them a little bit and he calls them. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Even in those moments, those are not probably the best and the brightest, the elite troops that he's calling. This is not unusual that a Jewish rabbi would come to somebody, a promising young student in whom he saw, and it would have been a he in those cases, in whom he saw something promising and say, you, come follow me and I will teach you what I know and I will teach you to do what I do and you too can be a teacher and a leader among God's people. If Jesus goes by the lakeshore and finds Peter and James and John and others who are growing into adulthood doing this and not studying with one of the rabbis, it's because they've already been passed over for that opportunity, right? These are the guys who are doing everything else. And Jesus comes and sees something in them. He sees in them what he sees in every human being. The gifts and the dignity, the infinite dignity of every human being, the abilities that God has given every single person to do what God made us to do to serve him and represent him in the world. And when Jesus appoints these 72 others, I see Jesus appointing a whole crowd of people, all of us, the regular people like you and me, he calls into his service. And I would guess that at least some of your hearts and minds are feeling like, I'm not positive I'm qualified for that. I don't know if I've got the right training for that. I don't know if my gift set is ready to go out and represent God in the world. Is, am I up for that? And I understand that you may feel that way and that, that's your opinion. You may have that opinion. And I know that tragically, some of us have been given that opinion from other people. That at some point in your life, your estimation of your gifts and your abilities has been lowered by somebody else telling you you're not qualified, that you're not up for that, that you've been made to feel shame, failure for what you're not good at. And I've seen that, I've experienced that in my life too, I know. And people think that that's their opinion. And yet here I read about Jesus calling all these people that have been passed over by everybody else and saying, come follow me, I'll send you out to fish for people. You're part of my 72, I'm gonna send you out in these important places. And you may have an opinion about your abilities and people may have an opinion about, their ability, about your abilities. But I'm telling you that Jesus' opinion is that you are up to the task. That Jesus sees in you what other people maybe haven't and most likely what you haven't. And at some point, when God gives you a task and gives you an opportunity that you don't think you're ready for, you're gonna have the opportunity to choose whose opinion you're gonna believe. Yours, theirs, or his. Because he called you for his team. He appoints these 72 and us to be part of his team. And then let's take a look at the second half of the verse. 
He appointed, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He sent them out two by two. Do you know which teams win most basketball games? You know who wins most games? It's not the teams that always have the best players. It's not always the teams with the tallest players. Kind of wish maybe it were. It's not always the teams with the tallest players. It's not the teams with the players who jump the highest. That's good for me. It's not the teams with the fastest players. It's the teams that play together as a team. It's the teams that are the best teams, who look for each other, who look for open cutters, who help each other out on defense, who play like a team. And Jesus sends his people out, not just as a bunch of lone rangers, but as a team. I think Jesus means for us to live and share life and serve in community together. Now, there are times when you're going to serve alone. There are times when you're going to do things for your family, your friends, and nobody else is going to see it. And sometimes those are really holy moments, right? But most of the time, Jesus invites us to do what we do as Christians for the world and for one another together. And this builds up our relationships with each other. It strengthens our friendships. It strengthens our bonds of community. That's something I think the Lord wants for us. And you know what else it is? I think when we serve together in community, when Jesus sends us out in pairs, and it can also often, I think, be larger groups than that, it's also more easily invitational. It's easy to invite people onto your team, people who aren't there yet, to say, you want to be part of our team? I don't know a lot of people who like getting cut from teams. Most people like joining the team. And it's an opportunity to invite people into the service and the life that we're sharing together, which really is exactly what Jesus says next in this passage. After Jesus sends them out two by two, in the second half of verse two, or in verse two he says, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, pray to God, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Man, Jesus' love for all these towns that he hasn't been to yet, for all these people who aren't on his team yet, for all these people who haven't met him, heard his announcement, experienced his grace, seen the kingdom come, his love for them is relentless. And if the word relentless ever strikes you as sort of an annoying, grating, overpowering, tiring word, I think that's sometimes how people experience Jesus. They're like, could you tone it down already? Could you stop eating with all the tax collectors and sinners? Do you have to keep doing this all the time? Why do you keep doing that? And he won't stop. His love for them is relentless. He won't quit until they've all heard, until it goes out. So much so that he'll send out 72 unqualified people to go spread the word farther and tell them about him and to share his kingdom, to share this. He sends them out. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out more laborers. He doesn't say, pray to the Lord, ask the Lord for a bigger harvest. There's plenty of crops out there. There's a huge harvest out there. There's no shortage of people who need to know the love and the grace and the hope of God any more now than there were then. All that we need is more laborers. We need more players to get in the game. Go out there into the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers. Let me ask you a, a hypothetical question. What would you do if it was your job to cripple the church? I hope it's not. <laughs> if it were your job to slow down Jesus' church, if it was your job to beat the team that Jesus put on the court or on the field, what would you do to cripple the church? I mean, there are a few things. You might be thinking some ideas. I might try to take away all the Bibles so nobody can read the story of Jesus' life anymore. I might try to get people to stop praying so they wouldn't depend on the power of God and just kind of be left to their own. Another thing I might do is I would try to take the players out of the game. I would try to send less laborers, fewer laborers, into the harvest. 
Did any of you see the University of Minnesota men's basketball game like three, four, five, I can't remember, four weeks ago, about a month ago? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Where the Gophers played against the University of Alabama, and there was a fight in the game, and the Alabama bench players cleared the bench, which is cause for immediate ejection. They get thrown out of the game because they left the bench, and then, and then they have five players left, and one fouled out, and one got hurt, and they were playing basketball, five on three. You see the picture up there? See the five guys in maroon? That's, that's the Gophers. See the three players in white? That's not because they're on the other end of the court. That's all the players that are left. And you see the score? The team with only three players is losing. Now, not by as much as you might like if you're a Gophers fan, but they were losing and they were not gonna come back to win. Because if you wanna slow a team down, take the players out of the game. Send out fewer laborers into the harvest, right? About a dozen years ago, along with two other people from our church, we went and visited a church that we used to have a working relationship with in Estonia. Estonia is one of the former Soviet republics on the Baltic Sea. They lived as part of the USSR, Soviet Union, for a number of years. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to learn a lot about their lives, and we asked them, what was it like to be Christians? What was it like to be a church under communist rule, under an, under an officially atheist government? And they told us, there's a lot I didn't know about that. It was okay to keep the church open. They didn't have to close the church, but they had some serious restrictions. And one of the biggest restrictions was no church outside of church. You can come to church and you can have your worship services. You can sing the songs you used to sing, pray the prayers you used to pray, but don't do that outside the church building. No talking about Jesus out there, no praying out there, no having growth groups, they didn't call them growth groups, no small groups in your home. Don't do that, right? Only right here. No getting more players in the game, only the players who are already here. Keep them at practice. Keep them all gathered up together, but not out there inviting more laborers into the harvest. And the other rule that I think came from the same mindset no youth groups, right? No next generation. No spreading the faith down. Isn't this diabolically brilliant? It's almost like the people who were part of the communist regime read the Bible and went, Jesus said they need more laborers. Let's make fewer, right? That'll cripple the church. That's what they did. So what's the game? We're talking about all the players that Jesus sends out in the game. Involves on his team. Sends us out in community. Wants more players. What's the game? There are some things that Jesus sends his people out to say and to do. Let me just show you briefly what those are. Luke 10, verse five. When you get somewhere, when you get to a house, first say, peace, peace to this house. The, the Jewish concept would have been shalom, an announcement of wholeness and peace and the goodness of God's world. Tell them about the peace that I'm bringing. And then if we skip down a little bit farther to verse eight, second half of, I'm sorry, verse nine, tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. This is just exactly what Jesus had been saying all along. This is just a summary of his message. Go tell them what I told you. Go tell them about what I have done in your life, right? Now, how many of you feel totally ready and qualified and comfortable to go tell people who don't know about Jesus about his peace and his work and your experience with them? Right? For some of you, your, your pulse rate just went up a little bit, a little blood pressure. Look, are you gonna make me do that? We don't all feel very comfortable and equipped with that. And on the one hand, I actually would like to help with that. I would like to do a little teaching in groups to help equip us for that. But the truth of the matter is, even after we do that, you're still gonna feel unqualified and unprepared. And sometimes God just has to send us out before we're ready. We only get ready by doing, we learn by doing. But it's not only the words. What does Jesus send them out to do? There's really only one thing, other than the kind of details of going and how to go and where to go. In verse nine, Jesus says, heal the sick. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Now, if you felt at all uncomfortable with having to go out and tell people about Jesus, how do you feel about going out to heal the sick? Do you feel equipped and prepared and ready for that? A lot of us are like, how am I gonna do that? That doesn't apply to my life. I can't like, just put my hand on somebody's broken leg and make it better. Well, you know, sometimes I have seen God answer prayers like that. 
Sometimes God does do miraculous works of healing. But sometimes God works in other ways too. You know, I think about some of the stories of the, the very early Christians, even not long after the life of Jesus. And there's some stories from Roman history, from ancient history, of how when epidemics of like flu or measles or something would come across the empire, that survival rates were higher among Christians than they were elsewhere in the empire. And that was because the Christians had read or had heard from the people what Jesus said. He said, you know, you should probably love your enemies, love your enemies and your neighbors as yourself and heal the sick. And so instead of being like all the rest of the pagans in the empire who found sick people and turned them out in the streets, instead they took them in and they gave them blankets and food and water. It's amazing what a little loving nursing care will do for the survival rates, right? Thank God for healthcare professionals of all kinds. I think about what's happening today. I think about, on the one hand, our partners in ministry in Haiti and how they pray for God's miraculous healing and they see God do some great things. And then alongside that, they open up clinics for all around the place and they built a hospital on their campus in order to heal the sick because they thought Jesus probably meant that when he said it. Now think about our own society and how it is that we have all this great health care. And as Christians, I think we want to see that be available to as many people as possible. Before you think I'm going to get all political on that, I don't know the best way to do it, but I do know that as Christians it matters to us that the sick are cared for and healed, that we see health care be offered to as many people as best as possible. Jesus sends us out to speak and to act in his name. But I don't think it's just the sick, right? I mean, that's the one thing in this chapter, but that's the beauty of reading the whole story. I think Jesus wants his people to go out and show mercy and care and love to all kinds of people, to the lonely and, and to the hurting, to go out and be people of grace and mercy to the world. I think that the enemy of God, I think that the enemy of the church would love to keep us from doing any of those things. I think maybe he would look at the players on Jesus' team who are sitting in buildings like this every Sunday morning and go, okay, fine, you gotta lose some. They can be with Jesus, but let's just keep them there, all right? No doing church outside of church. No, no talking about Jesus out there. No, no building of community out there. No passing it on to the next generation. All right, fine, they know Jesus, but if I can just keep them right in here, we'll call it practice. As long as they never get out and play the game, I guess I'll write that one off and call that good enough. But Jesus is better than that. That's not the character. That's not his heart for the whole world. That's not his vision for our life together. Jesus says, here's the ball. Go play the game. You don't have to be stuck in practice. It's beautiful together. It's awesome together. It's, it's really fun. It's joyful. But go do what you were made for. Go get out there and play the game. I want to give you one thing to do today and this week. It's very simple. I want to give you a one-line prayer to pray, all right? But it's a dangerous prayer, I have to warn you. So if you're not ready for that, don't pray it, okay? This is the prayer I want to give you. Very simple. What's the play, coach? Send me in. What's the play, coach? Send me in. I think if you pray that prayer, I think Jesus will answer that prayer. That makes it dangerous. And then you're going to have to answer to him, and that will make you dangerous to the enemy. What's the play, coach? Send me in. Can you guys say that with me? What's the play, coach? Send me in. Did you guys do it in contemporary? I couldn't hear you. If you're online, if you're at home in your pajamas right now, we all pray this prayer together right now. What's the play, coach? Send me in. I prayed that prayer this week. I prayed that in my office. I was watching this video that was shared by a, a friend here in, in our area, uh, by the director of the local White Bear Lake Area Emergency Food Shelf. It was a little teaser video out of a, out of a longer video. 
It's one of our primary partners right here in serving our community. And she shared this little teaser video about childhood poverty, about childhood hunger in America, and right, right here in our own suburb, right here in our own backyard. And it wasn't like any of the figures were new to me, but it just, honest, honestly, it just wrecked me. There's this one kid in the video who was talking about going to school, and he's part of a club at school. It's called the Nutrition Club. Okay? So a lot of kids are in a lot of clubs. He's probably part of some other clubs too, sports clubs, activity clubs. Nutrition Club is where he and some other kids go to the guidance office on Friday afternoons, and in his words, we go there and we pick up a bag of food that we have to try to make last all weekend. This bag of food for kids who are maybe getting some assistance with lunch or breakfast at school but don't have access to adequate nutrition. And maybe the local food shelf or maybe some other agency is helping to provide that nutrition over the weekend. And he's trying to make it last all weekend for his family. I'm like, right here in the wealthiest country in the world, and I'm just getting upset. And then they had another shot of this girl, and it was some footage uh, from her family's apartment, and she was kind of rationing out a bag of ice from the gas station in the bathroom sink with some perishables, some milk and some cheese that she probably had picked up at the food shelf or maybe the grocery store or gas station. Didn't have a refrigerator because that was too expensive and frankly didn't have enough food to justify a whole refrigerator anyway. And I was watching this. It just, I was just undone, you know? I was like, we're in the wealthiest country in the world. I live in a suburb of one of the cities in America that has the highest like, quality of living index anywhere. And I know that right in my own backyard, there are kids who haven't quit their jobs, haven't done this on purpose, and they don't have enough to eat. And the next meal's coming from them. What does that do to your heart and your mindset as you go through the rest of your life? And so I was just praying. I was like, God, what are we going to do about this? It's not okay. What's the play, coach? What do you want to do? Send me in. I'll do something about it. What do you want to do? You want me to go open a second food shelf for our area? Is that, I'll go do that if that's what you want me to do. Is that what I need to do? You want me to get a different job somewhere else, rub shoulders with other people, mobilize them, try to change what's going on? Public policy, is that the answer? You want me to go try to do something different that'll maybe work on fair wages, affordable housing, access to food, whatever. What's the play? What are we going to do about this? What's the play, coach? Just send me in because this isn't cool. I don't, it can't go like this. Like I'm telling God something, right? And then you know what I heard in my heart? I heard in my heart the same thing that I hear every time I feel like that or pray a prayer like that. I, I could hear or feel God saying to me, you got hundreds. There are thousands of laborers unto the harvest who are in that church you serve, right? Thousands of missionaries all gathered together in this community that comes together for worship on Sundays, gathers in growth groups, serves in a whole bunch of ways. There's thousands of people out there I'm like, okay, yeah, that's right, I know that. Go tell them I love them, okay? Go tell them how much I love them so that they'll know that, so they'll be secure in that, so they'll be able to work out of that identity and not for it. Go tell them, all right, coach, I'll do that. That's the play, I'll do it. Go tell them I chose them for my team, that they may not think they have the opportunities, the gifts, the ability, the capacity, the resources, but tell them I think they do. Go tell them they're on my team. Tell them I chose them and then send them out to play. I'm like, all right, coach, if that's your play, if that's your play, send me in, I'll run that play. Here you go. <laughs> Let's go play. Listen to me. The love of God for you is beyond imagination. Jesus' love for you is so incredible that he left heaven, okay, on a holiday they didn't know they were calling Christmas yet, but they were going to later. He left heaven. He did not consider access and equality with God a thing to be used to his own advantage. It wasn't for him. I love humanity so much, I will go down to earth 
and live for them and die for them. You are loved with a costlier love than you have probably ever imagined. He loves you, and I will tell you that over and over again until you believe it. His love pours out for us so that we can pour it out for others. I want you to believe me when I tell you that God chose you for his team, along with these other 72 unqualified people and the others before that. All of us, Jesus sees your gifts and your capacity and your abilities, and he has a higher estimation of it than you do. That we together, all of us together, have the ability to be on his team, and he sends us out to play as a team. And it's teams that play together as teams that win. And he says, go play the game. Go play the game. When you go out and play the game, you might dribble off your foot sometimes. You might throw the ball out of, out of the bounds sometimes. You're going to mess up. You might foul other people sometimes. You follow me, right? You might hurt somebody else. You're just going to come back to the huddle again. We're going to come to practice. You're going to hear the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ for all that. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. We're going to read the playbook together again. We're going to go back out and play some more. Here's the ball. Go play. Let's go feed the hungry, okay? Let's do this together. Let's go heal the sick. Let's go show mercy and grace to all kinds of people, all right? Your coworker at your office who's going through a hard time, go show them some compassion. Look out for them, all right? Show mercy to the hurting. You're, go talk to your lonely neighbor who talks too much and listen for as long as it takes, okay? Because in as much as we have done it to the least of these, so also have we done it to Jesus. Go play the game. Go change the world. Go take it to the enemy. Go take it to the opponent. I've already read the ending. He loses in the end anyway. We get to play the winning game right now. You get to play. Let's pray. Lord of the harvest, what's the play, coach? Send us in. And we pray that you would send out more laborers into the harvest. Do it through us. Send us out. Make us contagious that we would invite more people into your harvest, that we put more people on the team. God, we just bring before you the brokenness of your world, and we know, we know that you care. <laughs> and the heaviness on our hearts doesn't begin to approximate the brokenness of your heart for your world, for your people that you love with a love we <laughs> don't even understand. But our hearts are broken too. And God, I pray for all of us who are gathered here that you would start us out in the reality of your love for us, that we would know that, that we would know your grace, that you've called us to yourself together. And then, God, I pray that you would just give us all vision and courage and marching orders, a love that's as relentless and holistic as yours, and send us out to be your people. Just show us the play, coach, and send us in. Amen.